So I want to welcome you all here this afternoon to presentation number eight. eight. Yes, yeah, so at the end of this session, we'll be two-thirds of the way through. So anyway, I want to welcome those who are watching on DVD um, or online. May God bless you as we journey together once more. This afternoon's subject I've entitled, A World Without Pain, Suffering and Death. This is where we left off in our last presentation, you'll recall. Uh, we looked at uh, the grand climax of human history. Once again, we, we tend to be gravitating towards the second coming each and every time. Have you noticed that? Uh, each and every presentation, we're heading in that direction. That is because that is where history is going. And that's the, and that's the blessed hope, as the Bible refers to the second coming. The blessed hope of the appearance of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So today we want to take a look at um, what will take place when Jesus comes. And I've entitled the message, A World Without Pain, Suffering and Death. It almost sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? To most people, this subject would be simply a fairy tale. No different to what many people read, um, those fairy tale books, um, and watch the movies, and you know, how the, you know how the books end, and they all lived what? Happily. Happily ever after the end. The end. That's how the fairy tale books end, because as we know, it's all make-believe, and it's just a fairy tale. Because the words that they begin with are what? Once upon a time. Once upon a time. So when it comes to the subject of heaven, a lot of people that you talk to, believe that it's a fairy tale. No different to Hansel and Gretel and Snow White and the how many dwarfs? I don't know. I don't know how many dwarfs. I never read that book. Um, no different to the, to the fairy tales that are out there today that Hollywood produces um, and that are in many children's books. This was the front cover of Time magazine back in 1997, March 24. Does heaven exist? Does heaven really exist? Or is it a fairy tale that millions and millions of people believe in, which will ultimately end in, and they all lived happily ever after the end? Or is there, or is there truth and substance to it? Well, today we want to go to not what Hollywood has to say, but what the Holy Word has to say. And so, as always, we're going to pray before we begin our time together in God's Word to explore this all-important subject. Father in heaven... We thank you so much for your word. Um, fairy tales abound. But Father, we're here this afternoon to discover the truth from your word. We believe your word contains truth. For we have seen the evidence of that truth in your word. And Father, we ask and pray that your truth will once again burn bright in our hearts this afternoon as we look at this all-important subject of what you have prepared for all those who love you, all those that have put their faith and trust in you. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. Does heaven exist? Let's answer that from the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was crystal clear that there is a place called heaven. 
He will come from heaven to this earth and he says, I will take you that you may be where I also am. The Apostle Paul also shares this same message in his gospel to the Thessalonian believers in Thessalonica. There in modern day Greece today, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, we read these words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be, what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the Bible is crystal clear. Jesus is coming back again and he will take all those that have put their faith and trust in him to be with him forevermore. That's exactly what the Bible says. In fact, the second coming is that blessed promise that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's that golden thread that runs throughout the scriptures. Almost 2,000 scriptures of the Bible Speak directly of the second coming of Jesus. It's just everywhere. You cannot go anywhere in Scripture without encountering the blessed, uh, the blessings of the second coming. But this afternoon, what we want to do is we want to rethink heaven. I like this front cover of this April 16, 2012 Time magazine, Rethinking Heaven. There are many ideas, even in Christian circles, of what heaven and the new earth will be like. And so today we want to simply look at what the Bible has to say, go through a simple Bible study on this all-important subject. Uh, heaven, what is it like? There are those that, that have all sorts of different ideas of what it's like to go to heaven, to go through some clouds, and you see a light um, that shines forth, and you go into the light, and you are there in the presence of God in heaven. You go through these pearly, these gates, um, is what many imagine heaven to be like. Um, many different ideas of what heaven will be like. What does the Bible have to say? What will heaven really be like? Well, guess what? There actually isn't too much on what heaven will really be like. There is a little bit, but not a lot. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about heaven. And in order to find out, we need to go to where the Bible describes where we will have 1,000 years in heaven, otherwise known as the millennium. Uh, the millennium comes from two, two words, uh, mille, 1,000, and annum, year, so 1,000 years. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 20, where the redeemed will spend 1,000 years in heaven before uh, they make their way down to this earth, and we'll get to that in a moment. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. Now you may be wondering, what on earth is the second death? What, what do you mean there's a first resurrection? Does that mean there's a second resurrection? Absolutely. We're going to look at that next weekend. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Christ or with him. How long? For a thousand years. So the Bible says we're going to reign with Christ for 1,000 years in heaven. When Jesus comes, he will take all the redeemed with him, those that are dead but have put their faith and trust in Christ, and those who are living and have put their faith and trust in Christ, they will together be caught up, as we have already read, to spend a thousand years reigning with Christ in heaven. Now, the big question is that you want to know, I am sure, is. What will the redeemed do, do during that 1,000 years? 
I mean, that's a long time, isn't it? A thousand years is a long time. I mean, you've been around for a long time, my friend Helen, but you haven't been around for a thousand years. You're kind of 10% of the way there. Um, what will the redeemed do during that 1,000-year period? It's a long period of time. Well, the Bible tells us. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, it says, And I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, that is the redeemed, and judgment was committed to them. Wow. So for 1,000 years, the redeemed, according to Revelation chapter 20, and you can read the whole chapter there, it speaks of this 1,000-year period, what will happen at the beginning, what will happen during the 1,000 years, and then what will happen at the end of the 1,000 years. The Bible says that the redeemed will be involved in a work of judgment. Now, you may be thinking, that's a little bit strange. I thought God is the one that judges because he knows what is best and he knows what's in the heart of each and, of each and every person. And that is true. The Bible says that God alone knows what's in the heart of each and every individual. You and I don't have that privilege. And thank God we don't have that privilege. That's why the Bible says, do not judge. Because you and I do not know what motivates us to do what we do. It may all look good on the outside, but what really motivates that you and I cannot discern. That's why the Bible says, don't judge people's motives. So what does it mean when we will be given judgment? Without going into a lot of detail because we don't have time, but simply this, the Bible speaks of the books of heaven being opened. God is a God of justice. God is a God that brings everything out into the light. God is not a God that wants to keep things secret, as we discovered in our previous presentation. God is a God that wants everything out in the open. So when you get to heaven during that 1,000 years, you're going to have a lot of questions. I'll have a lot of questions. There'll be people in heaven that you thought should never be there. There won't be people in heaven that you were dead certain would be there. And why aren't they there? You will want an answer. Isn't that true? I will want an answer. Absolutely. And so God will open up the books and he will say, did I give to each and every person what they chose? And you and I will stand in judgment and we will together cry out these words. Are you ready for it? In Revelation chapter 15, you and I, as the jury, we will act as a jury as we look at all the evidence, those who are saved, those who are lost, including all the angels, the Bible says, this is what will take place. In Revelation 15, verses 2 to 4, we read these words, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. This is describing the redeemed after Jesus comes. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? And notice these words now. For you alone are holy, for all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments, notice God's judgments, have been what? Manifested. In other words, everything has been brought out into the open. There is complete closure now for the entire universe. Those that are saved are saved because they chose to be saved. Those that are lost are lost. Not because God wanted them to be lost, as we have discovered over and over again, but because they chose to willfully reject 
their only salvation, which is Jesus Christ. What great event will take place at the end of the 1,000 years in heaven? And by the way, I've done a full presentation of what I've just shared with you in about six, seven minutes. I've done a full one-hour presentation. So if you're interested, put on your card. I would like to know more and I'll pass on some information to you. But what great event will take place at the end of the 1,000 years in heaven? Notice what the Bible says. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, we read, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Here is John, the beloved John, and he's grappling with the human language, which is insufficient to describe what he is seeing in vision. He's seeing this beautiful city, and we're going to discover how beautiful this city is, the New Jerusalem, that is coming down out of heaven. And the best he can do is, is remember the day when he saw his wife or someone else, a bride coming down to meet her husband. And he goes on and he says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's how the Bible introduces the new heaven and the new earth that God will create, where the new Jerusalem will be placed. The new Jerusalem at the moment is where? It's in heaven. That's what the Bible says. It's in heaven, the new Jerusalem, where God's throne is. But the center of the universe will not be heaven, but will be this earth. This earth will be the very center of the universe because God will be in the midst of the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and this world will be created anew. In fact, this is what God's people have looked forward to for centuries. Well before these words were written, 700 years, 800 years beforehand, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. In Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17, we read, <clears throat> For behold, I create new heavens and what? And a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. That, that's a repeat of what, of what we've just read in Revelation 21, isn't it? Absolutely. That's almost word for word what we have just read that John saw in vision and he wrote down. This has been the blessed hope, as I pointed out, that God's people have been looking forward to for centuries ever since the beginning of time, ever since Adam and Eve sinned. They have been looking forward to the day when Eden would be restored, where what was lost will once again be regained. We have in the book of Hebrews the faith chapter, and I like to call it the, the Hall of Faith chapter. You've all heard of the Hall of Fame, Hollywood's Hall of Fame. Well, don't worry about Hollywood's Hall of Fame. That's all going, that's all going by the way, trust me. <laughs> but the, the Hall of Faith chapter that Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of describes men and women down through the ages that have put their faith and trust in the promise of God and His return and the earth being made new and being inhabitants of the new Jerusalem. Notice these words regarding Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 10, we read, By faith Abraham waited for the city. Which city do you think he's referring to here the book, in the book of Hebrews? The new Jerusalem. 
which has foundations, whose builder and maker is what? God. Hebrews 11.13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This world is not my home, as the old song says. I am just a what? I'm just a passing through. This world is not my home, so don't get all bent out of shape if things don't go the way you think they ought to go here on this earth. You're just a pilgrim. A pilgrim's not here for a long time. A pilgrim's just a passing through. We're strangers. Why? Because we are looking forward to the day when we will inhabit our real home, our permanent home, our eternal home, the new Jerusalem. Therefore, we read in verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a what? A city for them. And what's that city called? It's called Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Do you know what the word Jerusalem means? It means city of peace. Yerushalem. Shalom. The, the Jews say shalom for peace. It's a city of peace. There's not much peace in the Jerusalem in the Middle East today, I can assure you of that. There are guards, there are soldiers with machine guns at every corner. I went to the bank. I went to the post office when I was there in 2010. The post office to post a letter to my beloved wife. And there was a guy with a machine gun that greeted me as I came in. I'm like, what's this? In the city of peace, there'll be no machine guns in the New Jerusalem, I can assure you of that. It will truly be the city of peace. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is where? In heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. We will be transformed. Ladies, no more need for creams. Amen? You won't need makeup anymore, ladies. How good is that? I'll be able to go into my bathroom and... There will be a spot there for me to put my hands because there's no need for any makeup. <laughs> well, if my daughters were here, they're like, Dad, my 21-year-old and my 18-year-old, there'll be no need for that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a wonderful day. Well, how does the Bible describe the new Jerusalem and the new earth? Um, we're not going to spend as much time on the new earth. Uh, the book of Isaiah speaks uh, a lot about that, and we just don't have time. I've included that in the notes, so you can go home and check out some of those scriptures. But I really want to zero in and focus on the new Jerusalem, because I believe there are some beautiful insights. There are some beautiful truths that will just give us so much encouragement, things that you have not necessarily thought of. So let's take a look at the new Jerusalem to begin with. Revelation 21, verse 20, 10. And we read these words. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. John is writing. He's carried away in vision. And he's writing what he sees. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as, uh, clear as crystal. 
We continue reading. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Let's just pause there. Why have I highlighted the 12 tribes? Why does the Bible mention the 12 tribes? There are probably a number of reasons, but I believe one of the major reasons would have to be that if, as you take a look at the 12 sons of Jacob, you discovered that they were a motley crew, weren't they? They were a real motley crew. Were they very nice to their younger brother Joseph? No, absolutely not. How low can you go to sell your own brother into slavery? I mean, that's as low as you can go as a sibling, isn't that right? You may have thought of doing that to your younger sibling, <laughs> but I'm sure no one in this room has ever seriously considered doing that, even though the thought has gone through your mind. But the thought not only went through their mind, they actually did it. They actually sold their brother into slavery. How mean, how cruel. The Bible says these individuals who were cruel, who were mean, by the grace of God, they have been transformed. If there is hope for the 12 brothers of, of, of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph's 11 brothers, if there's hope for them, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. Amen? It's saying there's hope for all of us. It's interesting. It talks about 12 gates. Now, back in the ancient world, you did all you could to protect your city. 12 gates is not what you did because the more gates you have, the more avenues the, the enemy has in order to get into your city. So generally speaking, most cities in the ancient world would have one gate. How many gates? One gate that you would go in and out of. But the new Jerusalem has 12 gates. Unusual. Why is that? I believe, well, let's keep reading. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. It's as if God is saying, there are three in heaven. The Bible says God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. East, north, west, and south. God is saying to those who are living on the east side of this world, on the four corners of this world, on the east side, the Father, the Son are saying, you're welcome. There's a gate for you where you are. Come in. To those who are living south, in the great south land, Australia, there is... Three gates, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son are saying, you're all welcome, come in. The same goes for the West, the same goes for the North. God is saying that there are avenues for all of you to come into the New Jerusalem. God is not trying to keep people out. God is trying to have people come in. Amen? Isn't that good news? Let's keep reading. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Once again, another motley crew. Isn't it amazing how God uses like the most difficult people often to be his leaders? Have you noticed that in Scripture? I mean, if you were, if you were about to transform the world with the message of the gospel... If you were doing it and if I was doing it, guess what? I wouldn't have been choosing those 12 that Jesus chose. The Bible says he chose them. Apart from Judas, the others Christ chose. Once again, the message of hope. The message of hope. If there's hope 
for them. There is hope for all of us to be transformed by the grace of God. Let's keep reading. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are all equal. It's in the shape of a square. In the shape of a what? The square. It's interesting when you take a look at the most holy place in the sanctuary, the most holy place, the dimensions are a square, a perfect cube. The New Jerusalem is a perfect cube. That's because God's presence is there. You can go and check that out in your Bible. Now, those 12,000 furlongs that we read there, you may not know what that all entails. So I've just popped it up there. 12,000 furlongs is equal to 2,200 kilometers. Now, scholars are not sure. They're not sure because the, the wording is a little bit vague whether it's... 2,200 kilometers around the perimeter of the New Jerusalem or whether it's 2,200 kilometers on a side, which would be what? 8,800 kilometers right around the city. Either way, it's a big city. How big? Well, I did some calculations. I went to Google Earth, as you do, and, um, and this, is, this is Australia from Google Earth. Okay, these are the exact dimensions according to Google Earth. 550 kilometers is about from Port Macquarie to Brisbane. We lived in Port Macquarie for seven years, seven blessed years. I cried when I left Port Macquarie. I truly cried when I left Port Macquarie, just a beautiful place to live. Anyway, we lived in Port Macquarie and we would often make the trip to Brisbane where my wife is from and her family. And it's about 550 kilometers from Port Macquarie to Brisbane. So that's 550 kilometers on this side. 550 k's out there, 550 k's out here, and this way. Is that a big city by today's standards? Absolutely. Do we have a city anywhere in the world that compares with this size? Not on your life. Now, what if, what if it is 2,200 kilometers on a side? Wow, look how big it is. All the way from Brisbane to the other side of Australia, to Tasmania. Tasmania apparently is part of Australia, someone said. So, <laughs> that's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. There are probably some Tasmanians here. Are any Tasmanians here? Oh, fortunately. <laughs> no, that's just a bad joke. Um, all the way. Look, it's, it's going to be massive. And you know what's amazing about this city? It's in a cube, in the shape of a cube. So it's going to be as high as it is wide. So this city is going to stick out of our atmosphere like you wouldn't believe. And so the center of the universe, this earth, will have this majestic city that is more brilliant than you and I can imagine that will be the centerpiece of this new world that God will create where there will be no more pain, suffering and sorrow. Isn't that amazing? So do you reckon there's enough room for you there and me? Do you reckon there's enough room for every single person on the planet? I think so. I think so. I don't think there's going to be a shortage of room. Real estate will not be in, in short supply uh, in the New Jerusalem. Let's keep going. Revelation 21 verse 17. The Bible is just incredible. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits. Interesting number. In Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14, it speaks of the 144,000. 
And it speaks of this group of people that follow the Lamb wherever He goes. It speaks of this group of people who are sealed by God's seal. Now, you may be thinking, does that mean 144,000 only are going to be saved at the end of time? Well, Revelation is written in symbols. And, um, and we've got to understand things um, in, 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 in symbols where we need to. But there's probably a little bit more to that which we don't have time to get into. But I just wanted to share that correlation with the wall, which is 144 cubits wide according to the measure of a man that is of an angel 144 cubits is 65 meters in case you're wondering so the wall is 65 meters and it's see-through completely see-through when you take a look at what the wall is made up of it's incredible go home and read those passages in Revelation 21 the construction of its wall was of Jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass wow can you imagine it if you can you're doing a lot better than me because i can't i'm trying my best but my computer is about to shut down any moment if i try a little more it's just an incredibly beautiful majestic city that you and i cannot even begin to comprehend the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And the Bible goes on and lists those precious stones, which you can take a look at and examine more so. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one what? Pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I want to just pause there for a moment. Let's take a look at the significance of these gates how many gates are there in the city 12 and every gate is made of what a pearl one individual pearl now why is a pearl chosen good question thank you for asking let's take a look at what jesus had to say about the pearl in matthew 13 verse 45 jesus says again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful what pearls okay he's a merchant that's trading in pearls and he's seeking for the most beautiful pearl and then notice what happens one day who when he had found one pearl of great what price went and sold all that he had and bought it who do you think that pearl of great price may represent Jesus of course who else but Jesus Jesus is that great pearl of great price and the Bible says when this merchant found this one pearl that he had spent his whole entire life looking for, he went home and he liquidated all of his assets and he went and he bought that one pearl. My friend, the lesson is simple and clear. When you and I find Jesus, nothing in this world matters anymore. As the Apostle Paul wrote, the things of this world have become like dung. And he uses the word dung, animal dung. Everything in the world, the most beautiful, the most precious things of this world, in comparison to Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price, are just like rubbish. And so when you and I enter through each gate, and each gate is made up of what? one pearl, we will realize and recognize that we are entering into the new Jerusalem only because of the great pearl himself, Jesus Christ. 
Every single person that will enter into the new Jerusalem will not enter because of their own merits, but they will enter in through that gate that represents Jesus Christ and they will realize they are only there because of Jesus Christ and His love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. Amen? Isn't that awesome? It's right there in the New Jerusalem. A forever reminder. Every time we walk into the New Jerusalem, we'll be walking in and walking out. Every time we walk in, we'll remember we are only there because of Jesus. Amen? Absolutely powerful stuff. Now let's take a look at what does this pure gold represent? Interesting. Pure gold, transparent like glass, the Bible says. Notice what this pure gold represents in the Bible. 1 Peter 1.6, and I can give you a number of scriptures, but we don't have time. But look at this one in 1 Peter 1.6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various what? Trials. Does anyone know what a trial looks like? Does anyone know what trouble looks like? Okay, a few of us do. We all do. That's what life is like on this sin-sick planet. Isn't that true? You have been grieved by various trials. But then he goes on. That the genuineness of your what? Faith. Being much more precious than what? Gold. Faith is represented by gold. Now, how is our faith purified? Notice, we keep reading. That gold that perishes, though it is tested by what? Fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's Peter here saying? Peter here is simply saying is that the trials and the tribulations and the troubles that you and I experience because of Jesus Christ, they are purifying within us the faith that we have in Christ. And the more trials you go through because of Christ, because of his truth, because of his word, the more your faith is purified. And the more you are prepared for the heavenly city who, that, that, that has streets of gold, transparent gold. And I know from what I've read that the purest gold that you can get is transparent. You can literally see your image in it. How many of you knew that? The purest gold that you can get, you can literally see your image. It's like a mirror. That's the purest, purest gold. But in order to get that gold that pure, guess what you have to do? You've got to put it through the fire. You have to put it through the fire. And now we understand why James in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you go through various trials. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Are you joking? Count it all joy. Who rejoices when they go through trials? Is there any joy in going through trials? No, there isn't. But for the fact that those trials produce within us a purer faith, a purer trust in Jesus. You see, when my back is against the wall, that is when my trust in Jesus is, is, is at its greatest. I'm on my knees the most when I'm going through persecutions and trials and tribulations. And so whenever you and I, as you and I will be walking along those streets of what? Gold. Each time we walk on those streets of gold, we will be reminded that Jesus Christ, not us so much, but Jesus Christ, He went through pain. He went through trials and tribulations. 
in order that we may put our faith and trust in him, in order that we may walk those wonderful streets of gold. Let's keep going. Revelation 21, 23 says, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. The city doesn't need the sun. Why? That's because the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 that Jesus Christ is the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, of Righteousness. Jesus, when you have Jesus in your midst, do you need any other light? No, you don't need any other light. You have all the light you need because He is the light of the world. That's what He said. I am the light of the world. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. It's interesting that the Bible says there will be no night in the New Jerusalem. Probably outside the New Jerusalem, there may be night. The Bible doesn't say. But certainly in the New Jerusalem, there will be no night. It will only be daytime. Now, if you read John chapter 3, there you'll discover Jesus says, evil lurks in the darkness. When do criminals love to do their work? At night and in the what? In the dark. Isn't that right? Whereas Jesus said, I have come into the world and my, and my works are visible for all to see. There'll be no night, there'll be no evil. There'll only be purity and peace and truth. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, crystal, sorry, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees, sorry, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Wow, I would just love to park myself and spend the next 20 minutes unpacking what we have just read. But we don't have time. But it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture that. In the midst of this city, there will be the tree of life. The tree of life that will give us eternal life each and every month as we partake of it. By faith, we will partake of it and receive that gift of eternal life every single month as we put our continual trust in God himself. I love that hymn. There's a beautiful hymn that describes this day that John is describing in Revelation 22. Face to face is the title. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Have you ever thought of what it's going to be like when you look into the face of Jesus? I've often thought about that. What is it going to be like when I look into the face of Jesus? When I look into the face of the one who died for me, it's just going to be something something so awesome, hard to imagine, hard to comprehend. It's just going to be so, so beautiful, so precious. The Bible goes on in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. As I pointed out earlier, the book of Isaiah speaks a lot about the new earth, which we don't have time to get into this afternoon, but you can go home and read about it. I've popped it in your handouts. It says in Isaiah 35 verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord, notice the ransomed, those that have been Ransomed. Do you know what it means to be ransomed? It means to be purchased. It means to be purchased. 
We have been ransomed, we have been purchased, not by silver and gold, the Bible says, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, the mountain of God, speaking of the new Jerusalem, with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness and sighing and sorrow shall flee away. Wow, what a day it's going to be when we come and we sing praises to our God, to our Creator, to our Saviour. How awesome it will be. The Bible says we'll be doing that weekly. And next weekend, I'm going to tell you when we'll be doing that. Weekly, the Bible says, and monthly we'll be doing that. And, and in a very special way, the whole world, the whole universe will come together and, and bring their praise before God. The Bible also says this incredible scripture, absolutely incredible, Zephaniah 3.17, not only will the redeemed sing praises to God, but notice what else will take place. The Lord your God in your midst, the holy, sorry, the mighty one will save. He will what? Rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine? God will sing to us. He will rejoice over us. We will rejoice over Him, but He will also rejoice over us. You don't want to miss out on that, my friend. You do not want to miss out on God singing. The Bible says when the angels sing, it's something to behold. Imagine the creator of the universe singing. Wow. I want to be there, front row seat, to listen to God sing and, and rejoice over the redeemed. The Bible goes on in Revelation 22 and verse 5, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are what? Faithful and true. These words are faithful and true. You can... Take these words to the bank. Well, don't take them to the bank. The bank's not very reliable, is it? Take these words <laughs> to the heavenly bank. <laughs> these words are faithful and true. The new Jerusalem and the new earth will be more glorious than we can imagine. Uh, the Apostle Paul, this is how he tried to describe what it's going to be like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, he wrote, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's, it's impossible for you and I to comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. All you and I need to do is simply love God. That's all we need to do, according to what the Apostle Paul says, to give our hearts and lives to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul goes on, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. This is what all the men and women of God down through the centuries from Adam and Eve looked forward to. They looked forward to the things that are eternal, that you look by faith. You look by what? By faith. The things here on this earth, this stroller, this computer, the things of this world are the things that we can see, that we can touch. 
But the Apostle Paul says, don't look at those things. Look at the things that you cannot necessarily see, that you cannot touch physically, that you can only see by what? By faith, through the eyes of faith. And there was one individual by the name of Moses. You may have heard of him. Hebrews chapter 11 describes how he looked through the eyes of faith. Notice these words. Hebrews 11 verse 24, by faith. By what? By faith. Someone pointed out to me that you can use that word faith as an acronym. Facts accepted in the heart. That's what faith is. Facts accepted in the heart. Trusting in my heart that what God says is a fact. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refused to be the most powerful man in the then known world, the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Instead, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the what? He looked to the reward. Moses, if anyone, if anyone was tempted by the things of this world, by the power of this world, it was Moses, surely. He was next in line according to what we read here in Scripture, to be the next Pharaoh. But no, Moses chose Jesus Christ and he chose the reproach of Jesus Christ as greater value than to be the Pharaoh of Egypt for he looked forward to the reward. It says that Moses turned his back on the passing pleasures of sin for a season. And that's what it is. This world offers only passing pleasures. Isn't that true? Only passing pleasures. Unless you have Jesus in your heart. Listen very carefully. Unless you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you will always be searching and seeking for something and you will never truly find it. It will never be enough. It will never be enough. Because you see, God has placed within all of us a God-shaped hole that he alone can fill. And until you allow God to be in your heart, you will always struggle. And that's why people struggle. And that's why you two wrote that song, I still haven't found what I'm what? Looking for. You'll keep searching. And until you give your heart to Jesus, you will never find what you are truly searching for that truly satisfies. And Moses found that. Moses found that in Jesus Christ. He looked forward to the reward. How about you? I'm looking forward to the reward. I can't wait for that day when Jesus comes. And that is why I do what I do. That is the sole reason why I do what I do, because I want Jesus to come sooner rather than later. Amen? And Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached all the world and then the end will come. And I want the end to come. I want to see the face of Jesus. I want to see my Savior and my Lord. I want to give Him praises, honor and glory. I want to be in His presence. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that is why you can join me. Not necessarily in doing what I'm doing right now, but you can join me. In sharing this good news with family, with friends, with neighbors, with your enemies even. Jesus said, love your enemies. What better way to show love to your enemies than to point them to Jesus. Amen? 
and win them for His kingdom because He loves them and He wants them saved. I want to finish off by sharing with you um, a powerful song that this blind couple sang. They came to our church back in Melbourne. I was living in St. Albans and they came to our church there where I was at the time. I was only a young fella. I don't know how old I was, maybe 10 or 12, but I still remember the song that they sang. This beautiful Christian blind couple. They were both blind and um, she played the piano and, um, and he sang and they just, were just, they just had a concert and it was just so beautiful. And they sang this song. What a day that will be. How many of you have heard this song? Well, you know this song. What a day that will be. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. And then the chorus. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. I'm tempted to sing, but I know it's not going to be good. It's going to be horrible, so I'll just keep reading the words. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. And then notice verse 2, there'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Amen. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. Wow, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day that will be when Jesus comes, my friend. What a day that will be. And there's no reason for any one of us to miss out. As we have discovered, there's plenty of room. As our Papua New Guineans, our Papua New Guinean friends say, they say there's plenty good room. <laughs> plenty good room, isn't that right? Well, plenty good room. There is plenty of room in the new Jerusalem and on the new earth for each and every one of us. I pray that you will make that decision day by day to be part of the everlasting kingdom of love that God will establish where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, where all will be joy and happiness and peace forevermore. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your awesome love. Father, we want to thank you that your word describes not a fairy tale, but Father, reality. Reality that we can put our faith and trust in by faith. And so Father, as the, as the men and women of old who looked forward to this city whose builder and founder is God, so too, Father, we look forward to this city also. We look forward to being inhabitants. We look forward to being citizens of this new world, this, this, this brand new world that you will recreate, this world that will be even more glorious than the way you created it some 6,000 years ago. Oh, Father, we long for that day when we will see Jesus. We will see him face to face. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. It's my prayer, Father, my earnest prayer. With all of my heart, I pray that not one person who is here this afternoon will be missing on that great and awesome day. I also pray that not one person who hears this message, sees this message, online or via DVD will be missing. But Father, that all of us will be there, including our family members, including our friends, including our neighbours, including every single person that we know. 
For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen and Amen and Amen. And God bless you until we meet again.